a little bit depressed, a little bit distraught, start your list of 10,000 reasons of how God has blessed you. When you get past the first page, you'll find that that depression is beginning to lift, that that discouragement is beginning to go right out the window, and all the reasons why you've been distraught are going to be overwhelmed by the reasons that God has blessed you. Thank you, Brother Hal. That was awesome. Brothers and sisters, pay much attention to the news. Read the newspaper much. You're going to see that the way things are going in our world and in our country, you're going to begin to wonder who in the world is in control. You might even ask, is there anybody in control? You know, we live in a world that's filled with what seems to be one, mass, one mess after another. 5,200 deaths to Ebola over in Africa. That's a lot of people. ISIS. That name beginning to ring a bell with you nowadays? Cancer. How many of you have a family member, neighbor, or friend that's affected with cancer? Blows me away. Radical Islam. Abortion. Illegal immigration. Impending war in Croatia, in Syria, and of course in Israel. And our what seems to be our government's war on Jesus, our government's war on prayer, and our government's war on the Christian's rights. But Job, Job 14, verse 1, the Bible says, Man born of woman is of few days, and guess what it's full of? Trouble. Jesus even said so much in John 16, He said, In this world you will have tribulation. So if you haven't experienced it, the promise is you're going to. But you know, if you don't know all the story, if you haven't read the back of the book yet, Life can see pretty dismal. I mean, it seems like this world is just becoming more and more challenging, even at its best. This life can be tough. Even at its best, this life can be rough. Even at its best, this life can be hard. This life can be difficult to bear. Speaking of bear, I read an article about this 54-year-old hunter in Wasilla, Alaska, who says he can laugh now, but he sure wasn't laughing then because Bill Murphy survived a grizzly bear attack when he was hunting on a remote trail. Murphy says that he used duct tape to bind up the bite wounds. Then he hopped on his ATV, rode to his pickup truck, and drove himself to the hospital. He said the attack happened when he surprised a grizzly cub and mama bear. Mama Bear pinned him face down quickly, clamped her jaws on his shoulder, and shook him around like he was a rag. And then he said he felt the teeth pressing on his skin, and then all of a sudden, pop, as the teeth penetrated through his flesh. The bear then all of a sudden let go, stood over Bill Murphy, panting and drooling all over his head, 
And he said, for seemingly no reason, the grizzly bear just walked away. He said he doesn't know how long the attack lasted, but he thinks that it lasted at least two lifetimes. Amen? How would you like to have traded places with Bill Murphy? Well, maybe you haven't experienced anything quite like that, but I want to reassure you and remind you of something that is happening to you today. Do you realize that every single day our team, been preaching on teams, my team lost yesterday, and I know none of y'all are happy about that. <laughs> Amen. But every single day, our team, that is our family team, our marital teams, our church teams are being attacked by the enemy. Every day, they're being attacked by the enemy. Ulysses S. Grant said, the art of war is very simple. He said, Find out where your enemy is. Go get him as soon as you can. Strike him as hard as you can, as often as you can, and then move right on through it. Tell me if that won't preach in the Christian walk. Amen. First Peter 5 8 reminds us that we need to be self-controlled and alert. Why? Because our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a lion seeking to whom he may devour. But he's not our only enemy, is he? No, we also know that we're engaged in battle in this world we live in. This world is trying to get you with all of its desires and with all of its own ideas, trying to get you and draw you away from God, if it were possible. So our teams are under attack every day, whether it's the devil or the world or temptation or whatever the case, we are under attack. So we're going to have to start taking a stand. Start taking a stand for God and Christ. Instead of doing nothing, by goodness, why don't we take a stand, strike back, and do something? Would you agree with that? Well, in Philippians chapter 1, which is our next section, of our, our cheering on the home team series, we're going to learn how to have victory on the home team. Victory for the home team. And I believe that I find three basics that Paul gives us so that we can have victory for the home team. Uh, like I said, my home team didn't have victory yesterday, but some of y'all did. Amen? Okay. All right. Well, let's get on to more important things. Hallelujah. All right, in Philippians chapter 1, in verse 27, the Apostle Paul writes, and I just want to remind you here, Paul's writing to Christians. Men and women just like you and I. He's writing to believers. He's writing to a church. So the church has got the same problems that the rest of the world does. Listen to what he says in verse 27. He says, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast 
in one spirit, with one mind, striving together. That's what a team should do. Striving together for the faith of the gospel. And not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them proof of suffering. But to you, it's proof of salvation and that from God. For verse 29 says, for to you, it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now you hear is in me. Consistent living for team Jesus is your first basic for the victorious team. And I mean whether it's the home team, the family team, the marital team, the church team, the work team. Consistent living for team Jesus is the number one basic that we can have to have victory. In verse 27 at the very beginning, you read it there. Not only let it, your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. In other words, whatever happens, trouble or peace, good times, bad times, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of or in keeping with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Pensacola, Florida, some convicted drunk drivers were forced, ordered to put bumper stickers on their car. The bumper stickers said this, how's my driving? The judge wants to know. The judge who made that order said this. He said, rather than just to simply monitor people as to their behavior, we want to influence people to correct their own behavior. I read that and I got to thinking, how does that apply to me? Well, very often I should ask myself, all right, sweet Willie, how's your living? I look in the mirror. So how's your living? How would it be, friend, if you were forced to put a bumper sticker on your car that said Go Gators? I mean, uh, a bumper sticker on your car that said, How's my driving? My Lord wants to know. Or, what if you are forced to wear a t-shirt that says, how's my behavior? How's my speech? How's my attitude? My Lord wants to know. See, our conduct should be in keeping with the gospel of Christ. And guess what? Your Lord knows about your driving. He knows about what kind of talk you have. He knows how you're behaving. He knows how you're acting. He knows what kind of attitude you have. He already knows. So our conduct should be keep, been in keeping with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Just to please him? Or could it be because the world is watching? Because the world is watching the believer. And God so loved that world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him 
should not perish but have everlasting life. Listen very carefully. You listen and say amen. amen. Friend, let me tell you this. If you are living an inconsistent Christian life, it's quite possible that you are derailing that part of the world that God is giving you to impact. So how's your living? How's your conduct? How is your speech? How's your attitude? How's your conduct record? Hey man, I know we all have our days. There are some days that I am so good. Amen? Amen? <laughs> and there are some days that I am so bad. If there was one in here that was going to say that, I knew it was going to be Glenda. We all have our good and bad days, that's my point. Some days I walk in obedience, and other days it seems like I can't do nothing right. We all have good and bad days. I know we're not perfect, even though we want to be. We want to honor our Lord. We want to please him. I always tell the children, don't you want to put a smile on Jesus' face? And most times they say yes. But if we're going to have victory on the home team, if we're going to have victory with our family team, with our marital team, if we're going to have victory here on the church team, then, friend, let me tell you what, we got to at least strive to let our conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. I read this poem, and I'm not the kind of preacher that gives three points in a poem, but this is a good one, and so I want to share it with you. It says, I am my neighbor's Bible. He reads me when we meet. He reads me in my home. Tomorrow he'll lead me, read me in the street. He may be a relative or a friend or a slight acquaintance to me. He may not even know my name, yet he is reading me. have a whole lot of lost people out there in the world that are reading us. They're reading your conduct, your words, your attitude. They're reading you. I read a story about Alexander the Great. Everybody remembers Alexander the Great from the great Greek history. Alexander the Great once met a lazy, good-for-nothing soldier that was in his own army. And he went up to that good-for-nothing soldier, and he said, Son, what's your name? And he looked up there at Alexander the Great, and he said, Alexander, sir. He said, You either need to change your name or change your ways. He thought about that one. How in the world does that apply to me? Well... Could it be that Christ looks at me some days and says, hey boy, you either need to change your name, Christian, or you need to change your ways. He's always right, you know. <laughs> He's always right. So, 
How are we going to have victory for our team? The first basic is simple. Consistent living for Team Jesus. But there's a second basic I want to share with you, and that is cooperation on Team Bethel or whatever church it is you attend. Cooperation within the church. Let's read there at the end of verse 27 because Paul says, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you may stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for faith in the gospel. For Team Bethel, or for any other other team that, that, that matters, that your home team, your marriage team, your work team, if you're going to enjoy victory, the Bible instructs us to stand fast in one spirit. We use in a lot of weddings, we talk a lot about one flesh. Amen? Two becoming one. One spirit with one mind striving together for the faith. Philippians says, what kind of mind? Verse two, chapter 2, verse 5 says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That kind of mind. The Christ Jesus kind of mind. Paul is saying that the body of Christ has got to stand up and fight just as if they were one man. Be in the same spirit, have the same mind, and move forward. Attack your enemy and plow right on over him. We need to do that. Cooperating together, setting our sights on the goal of the upward call of Jesus. Jesus said, every kingdom, city, house, or team, everyone that's divided against itself will not stand. And he said, he who is not with me is against me. So friend, whether it's your church team, your family team, your marital team, without cooperation, you ain't got a hope. Without cooperation, nothing great can be accomplished on the team. Paul wrote to another church. Boy, this was some church, too. He wrote to this church in Corinth, and in the first chapter he writes, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there will be no divisions among you, so that you are perfectly united in mind and in heart. You see, if ever there was a divided church, it was Corinth. It was pathetic. Uh, you name it, it seemed like they were divided over it. Nobody in here would want to be a member of Team Corinth. It was pathetic. But here's what we learn. No church is immune from division. No church is immune from discord. No church is immune from disunity. And friend, if we want victory here at Bethel, on Team Bethel, then we are going to have to go forward to succeed, to grow, to have victory. We're going to have to pull together as one man, with one mind, with one spirit, plowing forward and going ahead. You know, when Arnold Schwarzenegger became governor of California, he said, we have some tough choices ahead. And boy, he was right. But he said this, the first choice that we must make is the one that will determine our success. 
He went on to say, shall we rebuild our state together? Or shall we fight amongst ourselves, create even deeper divisions, and fail the people of California? He said, let me tell you something. The answer's clear. For the people to win, politics as usual must lose. Now listen, I don't agree with everything that Arnold Schwarzenegger is about. But let me tell you what, here he had the right idea. To move ahead, to grow, and to experience victory, they better pull together as one team. For any team to realize victory, friend, over our enemies, uh, we're going to have to experience growth, to experience that victory, we've got to cooperate. You've heard this before. United we stand, but divided we... You know it already, don't you? So we all must come together, pull together, for the glory of God in Jesus Christ. We must be united and stand together with anything against anything that opposes us. And there are plenty. So, as an individual member of the team, what can I do to ensure victory? Consistently live for Team Jesus and cooperate on Team Bethel. But there's another one. Another basic that we must learn in order to be able to enjoy victory on our teams and that is to have confidence in team Jehovah. Look in verse 28. And not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them proof of suffering, but to you is of salvation, and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. You know, there's a lot of things in our life that cause us fear. But I remind people often of what 1 John 4 tells us. In 1 John 4, John wrote in verse 1, Beloved, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you will know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, hear this, is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this spirit is the spirit of the Antichrist, which is something you have heard was coming, but now is already in the world. You are of God, little children, and you have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Friend, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You need not be fear, fearful. You should be confident. Don't be afraid of the enemies that come against our teams. Greater is he who is in you. I read about the great preacher, John Wesley, who always thought he was a really strong Christian until the day he found himself on a ship in a storm in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Fear literally gripped his heart. Now, most of the other passengers were just some missionaries that were on board going to their mission call. And they didn't seem to be afraid. 
And so John Wesley asked him, he said, were you not afraid of that storm? And one of those missionaries says, afraid? Why should we be afraid? I know Jesus. In Wesley's case, the enemy was not only that storm, the enemy was also his lack of faith in Jesus. So what about us? Find yourself fearful, do you? We all do. We always struggle with fear. It's a common factor of human life. We all fear something. What do you fear? I want to know. Tell me. What do you fear? The unknown. Good. What else? Losing a loved one. What else do you fear? Sickness. Snakes. Spiders. What else? War. What else? What do you fear? Losing your job. Do you fear death? Do you fear not having enough money to live on? Do you fear losing your health? Do you fear losing your mind? Some of you should really be. <laughs> Hallelujah. Do you fear what will happen to your children? Do you fear what the next generation is going to face? Well, let me just pause right there. You can do something about that if you wish. Amen. Amen. Do you fear being left alone? All of us have fears that we have to face. Some of those fears are real. And some of those fears we make more real than they really are. But they're fears nonetheless. But if you're listening, say amen. amen. As I stand here before you this morning, upon the authority of the word of God, if you are his if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are his property, if you belong to him, if you are spiritually reborn, if you have trusted in the finished work of Jesus Christ to forgive your sins and to grant you invitation into the family of God, friend, then he says that he has never, nor will he ever, leave you nor forsake you. He goes on to remind you that he will supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. He goes on to tell you that you can do all things through Christ who will strengthen you. He goes on to say that you can be assured that what God has started in you, he will finish. Furthermore, friend, you will see God's purpose behind every problem. 
you will be reestablishing God as your primary priority. You will be persevering through providential power. And listen closely. You will become a vessel of profound purpose. But it all comes through faith in Jesus Christ first. When by faith you're a part of Team Jesus... When, by faith, you join in as part of Team Bethel and you're under the watchful eye of Team Jehovah, friend, you have every single reason to be confident and not be fearful. Greater is he who is in you than he who is out there in that world. We all need more confidence in order to live this Christian life. Friend, it only comes when we believe that, that God is the God of heaven. It only comes when we believe that he is at work in our world today. It only comes when we believe that he will do what he says he will do. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. I read about a small boy who was riding a bus. And he was coming home from Sunday school and his Sunday school teacher had given him this beautiful card and had a, a great picture on it and it had a little caption that said, have faith in God. And as he was sitting next to the window admiring his card, the sudden wind came out and, and took that card and, and out the window it went. And he said, stop the bus, stop the bus, I've lost my faith in God. <laughs> the driver stopped the bus, he deboarded, Went, got his faith in God and came back on the bus. Well, there were a couple of adults that were watching out that, that day. And one of them said, oh, the innocence of youth. But another one said, you know, all of us would be a lot better off if we were that concerned about our faith. So, are you consistently conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Remember, the world is watching. Remember, your Lord is watching. Are you cooperating with your teammates? Whether it be here on the church team, within the, the uh, arena of your marriage, of your family, are you cooperating with your teammates? Are you united? Are you does united? and we ain't. And there's no way we can be aside 
we have an offer today to place your faith in Jesus. A lot of Pharisees went only way. He said it of himself. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. Today is your invitation to receive him as your Savior, your Redeemer, your Deliverer. draw that line in the sand to make a decision, you know what? I'm going to work on my living. My consistent life of living for Jesus. So whatever your decision is today, I pray that you'll come forward. If it's, if it's to be saved, to experience the salvation God offers you, the relationship that tell you not based on my words, but based on his words. And you can be assured that you are saved. Let me pray for you today. Lord God, you are the Lord God of miracles. And we as a team worshiping you in spirit and in truth, exalt you to your rightful holy place creation and in our lives. Father, I accept the sinless conviction in my own life to realize that my living can be much more consistent than it has been. That I can cooperate today. And that I can rest in complete assurance and confidence that you got this. Father, it began from the first day that I came to Father, I praise you. I thank you so much for my brothers and sisters.